If you're a longtime listener to the Copywriter Club podcast, you've heard hundreds of copywriters share their stories over the last four years. And while we talk about the struggles that copywriters have from time to time, the big focus of our interviews is the success that so many copywriters are having in their businesses. Our guest today is Amisha Shamanker. Now, Amisha has a counterintuitive process for finding success. It's all about choosing lots of ways to fail each week or each month and then going after those failures with serious intensity. But the result isn't failure, it's actually success. And we can't wait to share this interview with you in just a minute. But first, Kira's still on maternity leave and I want to introduce my co-host for today, Nicole Morton. Nicole, how are you? Good, thank you so much for having me. This is such a treat. Yeah, this is gonna be fun. So Nicole, for those of you who don't know her, she's a copywriter, brand strategist, really a creative genius. I know she doesn't wanna own that title, but uh, it's true. She's a member of our think tank and she's been a longtime member of the Copywriter Underground and she is the CEO, chief writer at the creatively named Nicole Morton Agency. So you can check her out there. And before we get to our interview with Amisha, this is the last time that I'm going to mention this for a while, uh, but the Copywriter Accelerator is open for two more days. If you're listening as this episode drops, um, it will close tomorrow, midnight, September 1st here, 2021. Uh, and if you are looking for a program that will help you set your business on the right foundation uh, moving forward so that you're ready in 2022, for uh, the success that you want to create in your business. If you, you know, need help with things like mindset and creating packages and uh, the, the clients want to buy and processes that serve those clients and pricing those packages and branding and getting yourself out in front of the right clients, finding your X factor and so much more, then you'll want to check out the copywriteraccelerator.com where you can still join this program for two more days. And if you're listening after September 1st, we will be opening up the Copywriter Accelerator again next year. Uh, Kira and I are actually working on adding some new and improved content. Uh, everybody who joins this year will get all of that new and improved content next year, but the price will probably go up uh, just depending on what we add. So check out the copywriteraccelerator.com. Okay, let's jump into our interview with Amisha, starting with her story and how she became a copywriter. I started my copywriting business in 2018. I was doing it before I even call myself a copywriter, honestly. I had friends like peers who were business coaches because I wanted to be a business coach at the time and not a service provider. I started my online journey in 2016, right after I had my second child. And I just knew I wanted to do something that would give me the work-life balance and make a good living and do something online. And long story short, my friends, my peers would send me their landing pages or emails to have a look at and make some recommendations. And I would do that. They would take my suggestions and would see some results. And I still didn't know that you could be just paid for doing that. Like, you know, I didn't know that was actually called copywriting or whatever, or copy auditing. Or, And I was like, who's going to pay for that? So anyway, fast forward in fall of 2018, I put a stake in the ground and said, you know what? 
I think I know enough and I think this is a thing called copywriting and I'm going to say no to everyone else. I'm going to say no to trying to get my business coaching off the ground, group programs and building $7 passive income products and hoping I would make a grand every day as you know promised by the influencers out there. I mean, three years ago, it wasn't such a big thing as it is now, right? With low ticket offers and upsells and downsells. So I was like, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to do copywriting. I'm going to launch my thing and I'm going to write copy for business coaches. So I firmly decided that I was going to do it, say goodbye to all the distractions and figure this out. And uh, here we are three years later, mistakes, rejections, nightmare clients, not getting paid on some projects, but uh, also a lot of good stuff that's come out in all of this. Um, You know, great peers, supportive community, uh, making, you know, having those 20K months kind of a thing once in a while, releasing digital products and all the good stuff and future looks exciting. That was the perfect way to set up this conversation because you've mentioned like all of the things that we should be talking about, but let's start at the very beginning. So people were starting to ask you for help when you put the stake in the ground, decided that you were going to go forward as a copywriter. How did you start attracting your first clients? What is it that you did to connect with them? I started being active in Facebook groups, because I think that was a very dominant strategy at the time, two, three years ago. I think it still is even today to an extent, but I don't know how much it's practiced. But anyway, that was the thing, right? You join Facebook groups, you find people that you want to work with, and you (laughs) do the value post thing, and then you add comments, and then you kind of like, you know, showcase your expertise somehow. And there was this one particular group that I joined. Uh, It was a paid group. And which was good right off the bat because the people, the quality of people were really, it was high, was good quality. And they, this group had a job board sort of a thing. And it was a lot to do with digital marketing. And, you know, now and then there would be uh, jobs posted about looking for a copywriter, looking to write funnel copy or emails or sales pages or, you know, social media posts. And I would uh, jump in those, uh, you know, and I would apply to those positions to get the gig back in the day and uh, to see what works. But I think, and I, what worked for me was I would write a very strong pitch. I mean, that Facebook group had like maybe a thousand people in there and there were a lot of people who wanted the same gigs, obviously. And uh, not that I would get every single one of them that I applied for, but I knew I could write and uh, I knew I could uh position myself differently from others. And I just took a gamble and I'm like, sometimes it paid off and I got some really good projects out of that. So that was how I got started. And then those clients were happy. They would refer other people. I would apply to more of these job board postings and get myself like, you know, practice my craft and do what I could. So can, can you walk us through what some of those early pitches look like? Uh, obviously, you're doing something because you were connecting with people, but what was it that made your pitches different from the way other people were approaching? So I, I and I had this in one of my digital products. I, there were two ways I would approach it. If I had no experience at all with the client and the client, uh, the kind of project they were looking for, what I would do is lay down a list of like certifications or the training that I've had. Like I have taken Murray Forleo's The Copy Cure. I have gone to copy hackers. I understand. And I, you know, this is what I'm going to, this is what I'm willing to do. I'm going to do the research. I would tell them what I was willing to do, even though I had limited experience. And I said, you know, and I was hoping that based on a little bit of my work ethic and, you know, the kind of like uh, explaining my process, which was even loosey goosey at the time, it wasn't refined. 
I would hope that that would at least get them to say, hey, let's hop on a call and have a conversation because that was my thing. Like if I can get them to talk to me on a phone conversation or a Zoom call, I can probably sell them what I want, you know, that I can sell them on me. That was a hope. So I would say like, this is why you should hire me. And, you know, this is what I've done. I have critiqued. And I would even add like samples of my peers stuff that I had reviewed and how that helped them get those conversions. And I would throw that in there, like whatever little proof I had, I would just put it on those, uh, in those pitches. And uh, yeah, that, that sometimes worked. And sometimes it didn't, they would be like, no, we're looking specifically for someone who's worked in the interior decorating industry. And even though your portfolio seems great, I don't think, you know, you'd be up for the job. So it was like really positioning and places and things where I did have experience, like personal experience. I remember, um, applying to a position where the coach was a parent coach and she had young kids. And I was like, Hey, I can do that. I can help you. I belong to free Facebook groups that have parents. I'm a parent. I know what it's like. I'll bring in my personal enthusiasm, obviously, and do all the research for you. So you don't even have to do this yourself. And I can get input from a lot of parents that will help you with this launch. So I always look for a common ground where I can like, kind of, you know, I'll add a little bit of extra. What do I have in common? Make it relevant to kind of stand out instead of those dry cut and paste pitches. Yeah, I like that. So let me ask about uh, you know, how you're pricing those early projects. You know, those first couple of projects, uh, they, these, we're not talking the twenty the twenty thousand dollars months that you have today. Like, what did that look like? How much were you charging for uh, early on? Oh gosh, I think uh, for a sales page, I was charging nine nine seven. I didn't even call it a grant, which was okay. I think starting out, I hope it was decent, but I would charge like a hundred bucks for an email. Uh, yeah, back in the day, it was a hundred bucks for an email, a hundred bucks for a blog post. And the blog post could be like, even like, you know, beyond a thousand words, but I'm like, Hey, I'm making some money. This is looking good. So that was, that was my pricing mindset. I'm like, who's going to pay so much. And, you know, it was just like, scarcity mindset, like grab whatever I can and kind of like, you know, prove myself and do that. So that was, yeah, that was the beginning price point. Okay. So you yeah, proved the concept. It all you know worked. Talk about how your business has evolved from that starting point then to where you are today. Yeah. So I think uh, it's basically going from order taker to working on five-figure projects today. And I've got to tell you, Rob, this was not an overnight thing. Like I was still struggling professionally, even until last year, but going into this year, things obviously change. And I will talk about that. But uh, in a nutshell, you know, a few things uh, helped me make that switch. Uh, first of all, I wanted to work with non-DIY clients who did not want to DIY their own copy. And there are a lot of them out there, right? Like, hey, I can write my copy. I write well, I don't need a launch copywriter. And obviously look for clients who have bigger budgets. And, and I, this is very simple, but it's true. Like some clients just do not have the budget. And you've got to be able to say, no, like, I'm sorry, this is not going to work out. And I think what you're looking for is someone who can, you know, maybe a junior copywriter or something of the sort. And I wasn't willing to position myself like that anymore. So I had to say no. Um, the other thing that helped me was documenting my wins that made a massive ROI to my clients' launches, even as an order taker. Like I worked on a couple of really great projects as an order taker. And by the way, if you're newer, newer in your uh, journey as a copywriter, there's no shame in starting out that way. I mean, you do learn a lot about what you like, dislike about the clients, the projects, the industry. All of them aren't bad experiences. The one thing I'd like to offer is if you can work on one crucial element of a launch, and I say launch because I'm a launch copywriter, 
uh, or a project that's going to have a strong financial benefit to your client, document that as a case study right away after the project's done. That's what I did with the first couple of projects that I got lucky to get hired as a copywriter. I used those case studies to land bigger clients. The other thing I did, and this is what I learned in the accelerator, thanks to you and Kira, is to document my copywriting process. Like this was huge, you know, walking a a prospective client through the process on a sales call, telling them how each step benefits them, makes you look like you know what you're doing and relaxes the clients because they want to be in good hands. Uh, The other thing, just doing badass work, like as an order taker, I was ready to please. I was assigned to do one job but I would see how that impacted other parts of the funnel. Like I would take ownership and would consult the client saying, hey, here's the deliverable that you needed from me, but here are some tips that would make your lo- help you with your launch conversions, right? Like do this on this email and kind of add a video there. Like I went the extra mile, they implement my tips, score some wins. I get the validation that I needed and include that in my case study. So it was a win-win. So it's like, don't be afraid to do the extra credit work. It doesn't go unnoticed. You may not get paid for it, but in the long term, it does pay off and it's paying off for me right now. So, and uh, last but not the least, um, I think, yeah, just surround yourself with some amazing mentors. Like the accelerator changed things for me in 2019, uh, helped me think of my business differently. And then I want to also credit another mentor who's helped me. It's uh, Julie Stoyan who's a mentor to me and would graciously highlight me in one of her programs as a brilliant sales page copywriter, launch copywriter, and a little bit of praise like that never hurts, especially if it's coming from a well-recognized authority and it, you know, word travels. So all that to say, this was not an overnight process. It took time. It's taken me at least 12 to 18 months to get here. Not glamorous, but it's the truth. Uh, I, I, I want to come back to, you know, connecting with uh, Julie and, and other mentors in just a second, but let's go back to what you were saying about documenting your successes and creating case studies, because uh, this is something that comes up a lot when we're talking with copywriters. And I think it's really interesting how you've used this in order to leverage and grow. So what did you document? What did the case studies actually look like? Like walk us through, you know, how the the evolution of the story in your case study that you would then share with your clients to, to connect with them. Yeah, that's a great question. So honestly, I have not written those case studies myself. I have three case studies. There are a couple of more in the pipeline. I hired Melissa Herstein, who I met in the Copywriter Accelerator, amazing copywriter. She's known to write really great case studies. And I think what makes a good case study, and again, I'm not an expert because this is not my uh, expertise, Melissa has the ability to ask really great questions, not just ask me what my process was. It really made me think like, huh, how did I approach this launch? I mean, she asked me questions I would not even think of. And then she would even interview my clients with who, who had those wins. Like, what did Amisha do differently? What was the experience like? So it's not just reporting the metrics and the numbers. Those are great. But also, what was the experience of working with someone like me? Like, you know, how did, what was the customer service like? And what was the attention to detail and how did she take care of everything? And how was she different from other copywriters who you've worked in the past? So she kind of like put into, put all of this into the case study. Um, you know, she went, uh, yeah, that, that was her approach, how she did it. And I had these on my website 
And to date on my sales presentations, I use these case studies. I kind of like highlight them and I add links to these whenever a client is considering to work with me. Like, hey, you know, this is what we did with uh, so-and-so's launch. And this is what we did with this other person's launch. So they know. So, yeah. I love the, yeah, just doing this as a, as a proof point, showing that you have done the work before, you've had results. I, I just can't imagine that that doesn't... Uh, that it's not just an awesome piece of leverage for for having clients agree to work with you. Yeah, no, totally. It it really, uh, I think having powerful case studies, like if you don't do any other marketing, like if you're not doing Facebook ads and, you know, you're, this is, I think uh, adding powerful case studies will really change things for you significantly. Clients just see you differently. They get to read this stuff on their own. Like, okay, this is the launch. This was the process. These were the challenges. Like everything's in there they get to see that and then they they already know they come prepared when they come on that sales presentation like okay this is what this person is known for and uh, i sometimes i feel like i don't do enough uh i haven't published enough of the case studies but again i'm still relatively new in my field of work but uh, i'm hoping to add a couple of more by the end of this year so it'll be great to get together with melissa again uh to do those and one thing i would like to say is that hire someone to do this for you because you you know, it's like you have a limited view of what your greatness is. We kind of like underestimate ourselves, like how great we were. But when it's someone else writing about you for you, they kind of dig much deeper, right? They're not afraid to ask those questions and get those answers and kind of like present it in a way that makes you look awesome. Like we can't do our own PR, right? You need someone else to do it. So I would say like, if you can, then hire somebody to write these for you. It just makes a big difference. Yeah. And when you bring somebody else in to help too, they can often ask your client questions that you might not be comfortable asking. So, it, you know, it's it's a nice resource to have if you've got somebody you can trust, like you have Melissa and she is a, a phenomenal copy writer to be able to do that work for you or with you, I think is uh, super, super smart. Yeah, totally. And I've got to say, it just feels nice to be on the other side, to be interviewed for once. Like, Hey, what was, you know, you had such a great win. Tell me about it. Like, how did you do? And it's, it's nice to be asked the questions instead of like being on the other side, like, okay, I got to deliver this and stuff. It's, it's nice to be on that other side. At least it was for me, like, you know, someone taking an interest in what I did to do to create that success for my clients. So it's, it's nice yeah. to be on that side. I like that. Okay. Let, let's fast forward. Then you were talking about connecting with mentors you mentioned Ju- Julie Stoyan in particular, how did you connect with her? Uh, you know, did you buy a program? You know, did you meet her in an event? Like how did that all come together? Because like you said, when you have somebody that has authority, they have a high profile, people are already looking up to them and they make a recommendation. That can be a total business changer. Suddenly you can have more work than you could possibly satisfy because this person has just said, Hey, you know, Amisha is a great copywriter, you know, hire her or whatever. So how did you make that connection happen? And how can we replicate that process in connecting with other authority figures? Great question. So I, so my initial copywriting work or any kind of the funnel launch copy work came from Julie's paid program that I mentioned before, the paid uh, freelance, uh, sorry, the paid Facebook group that is one of her legacy programs. She doesn't have it anymore. It's called Create Your Laptop Life. And I had joined and yes, there was a digital strategy and all that training, which is great. I think she does an awesome job of that. But there was also a job board which was really helpful. And I leveraged that job board and I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, make a name for myself in here. And 
later that year, I believe it was 2018, is when Julie announced that, you know, she is running a mastermind. And I was like, I've got so much of value being in this person's group. And, you know, my first 5K project came through that job board and I had a little bit of success, but I was like, if I need to grow and I need to, you know, get her eyes on my stuff, which is really very important, you know, to have a mentor, like look at your stuff and tell you what you're doing, what you're not doing <laughs> and help you kind of like, you know, change things in your business. I was like, I have to get into that mastermind. I have to find a way to get that money. It was not easy for me, but it was like a decision that I made. and. I still credit that decision is one of the best decisions. So I joined her mastermind 2018 and the kind of people that Julie brings together, a lot of them are high six and seven figure entrepreneurs. And I'm in awe. It's great that you get to see what's working in their businesses, but it's also a great place because this is where you can build those relationships. And, you know, my first two initial big success stories came from working with one of those clients because they did not have the time to write the copy They did not have the time to learn copywriting and they were more than willing to like hire a copywriter who was willing to put in that extra work Enter me. So yeah, I had to pay to get access to people like this, but it it helps. And sometimes it's like either you pay with your money or time, right? And I chose to like, okay, I have the money or I'm going to figure this out. And uh, I did figure it out. I joined her mastermind and uh, that kind of like, you know, that success built upon the others and uh, her kind of like saying nice things. And I have that great testimonial on my website from her. This all played into it. And it's kind of like a snowball effect after that. So yeah, Julie's been very instrumental in everything I have done. And I can't thank her enough for that. Yeah, I, I think about my own copywriting journey and investing in those kinds of things has been the thing that helps me level up faster too. And being able to, it's not just the the mentor that you connect with, you know, when you're in groups like that, whether it's a Facebook group or a mastermind or whatever, but the people around you, uh, you know, the, like, like what you did with Melissa, you know, in connecting with other people, just having that network, the support, the ideas, all of the stuff that comes out of it. It's in my book, a, a worthy investment, almost all of the time, obviously you want to be smart about who you're following, you know, the kinds of groups that you join, but, um, you know, if, if it's a good group, it can just, it can be a total game changer. Oh yeah, totally. And uh, if you're doing good work and a good mentor will not just only promote you, but you also look for ways to like collaborate, which I would like to also talk about later on, like, you know, how I've used that as an opportunity, also grow my business in a way and look at things differently other than just doing done for you works. So let's break in here and talk just a little bit about some of the stuff that Amisha mentioned. So Nicole, I'm going to ask you first, What stood out to you from this first half of our interview or my interview with Misha? There were so, so many things, Um, but I want to talk first about getting started, about the the process of getting started and how brilliantly Amisha kind of grew her mindset as her business goals changed. The thing that I love was that, you know, taking the stance of not letting your inexperience hold you back. Um, that there are so many ways that you can demonstrate authority when you don't actually have it yet, which makes you look professional, which makes you look confident, which makes you look like you can just deliver tons of value in the fact that you can talk about the industry. You're a part of an industry and you're watching the trends and you're seeing the wins and you can translate that into how you can help your clients get wins. And also 
talking about developing your own process, you may not even realize that there is a process that you bring to the table, um, whether that is how you interact with your clients, how you, how you tailor their information, how you, um, how you can leverage their background and their positioning in a new way that maybe they haven't thought of. Maybe that's your secret sauce, but there's something that everybody can bring to the table. We don't just show up as, you know, unresponsive blobs. Everyone has something that they can bring. And when you incorporate that into how you position yourself in the marketplace and how you introduce yourself to clients, that bridges that inexperience gap so quickly. And I think that's one thing that new copywriters especially have trouble engaging in because we're all looking at the at the surrounding landscape and seeing how uh, how our peers have succeeded and you know automatically positioning yourself in relation to our peers rather than recognizing what you have to offer. Yeah, I, I had some very similar takeaways, you know, with those two things. Obviously, Amisha is as she's reaching out to these in, initial clients that she's trying to connect with. They're not even clients yet, right? They're, right. they're just people in the Facebook group and she's offering value. You know, she's demonstrating her expertise and the impact of that is that she starts to create trust. Yes. And, you know, people in the group see that she's somebody who um, maybe she doesn't know everything, but she knows some things. And she certainly knows more than a couple of people in the group about the thing that she's teaching about or that she's talking about. And this isn't just something that works in Facebook groups. We should be doing this on LinkedIn. We should be doing yes. this in our, you know, our, our pitches, you know, our email outreach in, you know, when we're, we're talking about, um, you know, even on my podcast and whatever, it's offer value. Uh, teach the things that you know, help people without any expectation that that's necessarily going to turn into a project. And as you do that, it starts to create trust among those that you're talking to and then does turn into projects and, and long-term client relationships. And then you were also talking about, you know, how she's bringing more to the table. You know, she, she takes, she doesn't just show up as the copywriter. And I know she mentioned that we talk about this in the accelerator, but you know, she doesn't show up as an order taker or as a vendor where the client is saying, you know, here, you know, I need web copy. And she says, here, here's the web copy. She's actually looking at the entire project. She's looking at what's going on in the marketing and she's taking ownership, not just of the copy, but of the result that the client is trying to get. And so then she's able to start suggesting, well, you know, if you change the ad in this way, or if you change the way that you're talking about your offer, or if you add a bonus, or maybe you should add an upsell or a downsell, or, you know, maybe you're going after the wrong audience after all, like we see these things as copywriters a lot of the time. And, and we know like, we, it's, it's almost like we keep the secret to ourselves because we don't want to let the client know that they are, they have an impending disaster or a problem that's going to, you know, it's not our problem. So we're not going to mention it, but we can already see that, you know, this offer isn't going to work because it doesn't speak to the audience or, you know, it, it's not valuable enough or whatever. And we're afraid to say that. And I love that, that she uh, is an evangelist for taking ownership of the project. Right. And that bridges, you know, that, that gets back to what she was talking about. I'm not going to position myself as an order taker anymore. Yeah. And the growth is in the strategy. Because at the end of the day, for good or for worse, the writing is a commodity. And it's what you bring in addition to that, that's going to show where you're going to position yourself in the marketplace. So, you know, the instinct is to write a pitch that says, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, let me, you know, call me if you need me. No, the strategic approach is I can do this, here's how it benefits you, here's what you can be doing instead I can put this together for you. Let's get on a call. Oh, and also congratulations on this, that, and the other. So it, you know, the successful, the successful interaction is a little bit like improv where yes, and, and you keep answering the question. Yes. And 
um, and elevating yourself past the commodified status of writing. Yeah, that you beautifully said. That, um, I think that's that's bang on. Before we, you know, leave off what uh, Amisha was doing in the very beginning of her business too. I just want to touch on, you know, she kind of laughed about the price that she was charging. Obviously, yes. we all have those cheap prices that we started out with. But I think the important thing to take away from that is is that some money when you're just starting out is more important than good money or great money. Now, obviously if you can get good money or great money, then get it for sure. But the very first thing that we need to do as business owners is to sell ourselves to, yes. you know, be able to prove that the thing that we can do has value and that we can find clients for that. That's more important than websites. It's more important than, you know, even packages, um, pricing things correctly, like being able to sell ourselves is critical. And so there should be no shame in, you know, doing, doing an email for 50 bucks or, you know, uh, the first sales page for less than a thousand dollars, or, you know, that there's no shame in that because you're proving the concept. And I, I think, you know, we can, we can all forgive ourselves of those horrible pricing decisions that we yes. made so long ago, or maybe more recently, if we're just starting out, uh, it's just part of the process and it's okay. And not only that, um, even those little projects, even those I'm doing it to pay the bills projects, there are tiny bits of information that you can take away from that project that gives you the proof that starts to build the momentum. So any project, no matter how small, has the potential to catapult you further. Totally. Yep. I agree. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about case studies because, oh, you know, Misha had, had a few thoughts about this. I know you've probably got a few thoughts about this, Nicole. Oh my goodness. I, I just love how she approached case studies so brilliantly as probably one of the most impactful ways to demonstrate your ability, your authority, your, uh, the transformation that your clients can expect. And the best part is it's not you tooting your own horn. It's clients reading about other clients in other clients' voices. So it, it's so impactful. And you know, I'll always come back to the phrase, you can't read the label from inside the bottle. It's darn near impossible to write your own case study because you are so steeped in it. And so having her have another very talented copywriter be able to step back and approach the case study from an objective viewpoint and connect all the dots of which Amisha is a critical part of that but is able to see past what Amisha brings to the table and bring those both ends together. I just thought was so brilliant. Yeah. Having somebody help you with case studies, I think just puts it on a whole other plane. Kara and I have done that with case study buddy. We've had their team help us, you know, talk about some of our programs. They do a great job. I know there are some really good case study writers within the copywriter club, uh, including as Amisha mentioned, uh, Melissa Harstein. So, you know, she's, she does that with Amisha, but, um, the, I think the real power of the case study, and you're, you were saying this too, is that it's not just a testimonial. It's not just you tooting your horn, but again, it's an opportunity to build trust because you're talking about a process. You're talking about, you know, a, a really well done case study talks about the challenge. It talks about your process for solving the, the challenge. And it talks about the results. Um, if you have the results, you don't have to actually include the results because the real power is in the process of solving the challenge. And so, you know, I, I've said this in several places, but I think that, you know, our blogs, you know, those of us that have blogs and our websites, they should be full of case studies. The, the work that we do, you know, write about, hey, uh, this client came to me with this challenge. This was my thinking process. These were the ideas that I suggested. This is the one that we went forward with. This is how I executed it. This is what it looks like. These are the results. And if we do that, you know, four or five times, you know, now our blogs, 
not just, you know, hey, you know, here's a, a cute thing about copywriting, but it's selling us as experts in the thing that we do. Uh, it doesn't have to be a blog. You can do case studies. You can add them to your proposals. You can, you know, add them wherever uh, they belong on, in your marketing. But uh, case studies are, I think, underutilized and uh, have so much power to help us move forward. So we've, we've actually talked with other copywriters about creating case studies recently. So check out some of those um, back episodes as well. Okay. One last thing that I want to mention, you maybe have a couple more things, uh, Nicole, but um, there's, you know, um, Amisha started talking a little bit about, um, you know, taking uh, some time to, you know, to think or, you know, to step away because she knows enough, right? She's, she doesn't need another course or another thing, at least not this year. Uh, And so I want to ask the question, you know, how do you know, if you know enough and you don't need the course. I, I mean, I, I was talking with somebody just yesterday about a, a sales page for an event. And I, I'm like, I don't I actually wouldn't don't usually want to go to the event. And the sales page is so good. Like I have to keep talking myself out of it every time I see this. And so uh, I know I don't need it, but you know, what's that signal that, that uh, you know, for you, at least Nicole, that where you know, you don't need another course and you can just start moving forward. Well, speaking from the scorched remains of my credit card, I am not very judicious at this process. But yeah. I do, I do think back to um, what Mike Kim was talking about. At some point, you've done your skill building, and you really have to step back and assess: Do I need to build a skill, or do I need coaching? Do I need direction? Do I need to build momentum through execution? And that, to me, is the pivotal difference. You know, we we're all so good at at skill building and the copywriting community as a whole is so gracious and so generous with their ideas and, and helping lift up others. But at some point you need to really start taking a strategic direction to where you're going to go. You've set these, these goals, these really great goals and skill building is not going to get you all the way there. At some point you have to start working on execution and strategic thinking and having people surrounding yourself with people who are two and three and four steps ahead of you. So you have some trajectory. Yeah. There are things that you can learn from, from a book or from a course. And then there are things that you can only learn from doing, uh, you know, that you can't learn from taking a course or reading a book. And so, uh, you know, if, if you have, you know, read three or four books, or you've taken three or four courses and you're thinking, you know, I need another course, actually what you should probably do is slow down and do for a little while, do the stuff that you've been learning. And that then helps you identify, you know, what the next hole is. And, uh, you know, as Amisha was uh, sharing her experience, you know, with, with joining a mastermind where she, you know, everybody else is so far ahead, like that's another, you know, way to, you know, it's like, okay, if you've been doing the courses and the books, maybe it's time as Kira and I like to say, to be the dumbest person in the room, you know, to surround yourself with people who are doing amazing things that it, it becomes challenging to you. It's like, okay, I've got to step up my game to even to even feel comfortable in this room. I've got to be doing some things a little bit differently. And there's you know, an opportunity, I think, for all of us to be able to join groups like that to help us uh, level up. Absolutely. And I'm going to toot the Copywriter Accelerator and especially the Think Tank is positioning yourself amongst incredible peers with incredible mentors in you and Kira. And there's just, there's something about the synergy of you've, taking the skills that you've built on, but then having someone who's invested in your success, just give you some ideas to find within yourself, the momentum to move forward and grow. Well, I might have to cut this out and make it a testimonial <laughs> put it on a sales page somewhere. That was nice of you to say My work that. is there, done here. This is, there's no script for that. So uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for saying that. Anything else that you uh, want to talk about that Amisha mentioned? 
Um, I love, again, talking about growing your, surrounding yourself with high achieving peers. You just, you really can't emphasize that enough. And that, you know, that ties back to at the beginning of the interview, when she was talking about how, you know, you're in a position of self-doubt and and insecurity and folding yourself into a community that's going to, that's going to challenge you with your best interests in mind. I just don't think that you can say enough about that. Um, and that helped her. I'm, I'm seeing in the big picture how that helped her evolve from what she considered as a scarcity mindset into a mindset of growth and development. And, you know, that's one important point about getting to that, to getting to that place. I love that. Yeah. Well said. Let's go back to our interview with Amisha and find out a bit more about the product she created this last year. Let's talk about collaboration and, and you know, what you've done with that in your business to grow. Sure. So early this year, I wanted to, I, I decided that I've got this impossible goal. I'm going to meet it no matter what. Last year was really terrible, sucky, professionally, personally, every other way, not just because of the coronavirus, right? But uh, I wanted to ask myself, like, how can I create exponential value? Like, what do I already know? And I have like copywriters and I, I have taken all the courses. I've taken all of the trainings. And I think a lot of us have. I was like, this year, I'm okay for investing, but I don't want to take on another course. I think I have enough. Sometimes we get into this rut, like I need one more course and I think I'll be great. And I'll be, you know, it's, it's that uh, imposter syndrome or whatever it is. So I said, I'm not going to, I made a very hard decision not to invest in any training this year. It was really hard to pass up in a lot of good stuff, but I was like, Nope, I already know enough. I started there. I'm like, I already know enough, but now what, what, what can I do with what I know and how can I create value for current and future clients that goes beyond what I'm already doing? And that Rob, I had to sit with that for days. So these are some of the ideas I came up with. Th- these are some of the things that I've implemented uh, since. So a digital shop. So I created this in 90 days and I was like, okay, I'm a service provider. I write emails to clients, non-clients, people who want to pick my brain, so to speak, all the time. Sometimes I get these weird requests and I am good at writing emails to them and communicating my intent. Like I've got, you know, even if I go back to my early days, like I pitch for jobs and, you know, pitch for different copywriting gigs and I co-pitch clients. Like how can I take what I already know, what I'm already doing and turn that into a way to, you know, get paid? So I was like, okay, I'm going to create my first product. It's going to be the CEO essential email scripts, 50 scripts. And these are all scripts that I use in my business. And I'm like, I'm just going to put it out there on my website. I'm going to free marketing, go around Instagram, tell my little tiny list and let Julie know that this is what I'm doing and let's see what happens. And uh, so that was one. I was like, okay, I've, I've got the expertise. How can I leverage this to make some money? So that was one thing I did. I was like, okay, no big deal. Got it done. Then I thought, okay. What else can I add to this digital shop? I have a couple of ideas. I'm releasing two more products later this year and uh, working on a new program that kind of like has not been, you know, it's not touched upon very often, but uh, I'm working on an outline that I'm going to be adding. So these are passive income products. Yes, that requires a lot of marketing on my end, but I was like, I already know this stuff. I do this in my business. Why am I not monetizing this, right? Sometimes you've got to look like, what are you already doing that you can monetize that goes beyond just working for a client, like, you know, passively. Um, 
what else am I doing? I'm leveraging my time by adding a new service that won't have me doing the work because I'm going to subcontract to another copywriter. We are in talks and discussion right now. It's a white label service, but it's in total alignment with what I'm offering clients. I was like, okay, I've been trained in this methodology. I don't have the time to do it, but I know this other copywriter does. How about I just bring him on board subcontracted, let him do it. And, you know, I, I free up my time and it's a great value add for my clients anyway. So what else can I do? How can I set up affiliate opportunities with other entrepreneurs who serve a similar audience like service providers, but have 10x the reach that I do? So I've created like three affiliate relationships. One of them is Julie. I'm very proud that she's a mentor today who's backing me with my scripts. I have a couple of other people who serve other service providers, huge audiences, but they find value in my product. So they're like, okay, we'll sign up to be affiliates. So this is kind of like, you know, reaching other audiences bigger than mine. I don't have the bandwidth and kind of like seeing like, what else can I do? Um, the other way, how can I collaborate with other copywriters to bring that extra magic in my copywriting process and 10x the value for my clients? So for me, like I mentioned before, I brought in Melissa to work on the research, like do the interviews and strategize the big idea with me for every launch. And just this alone has like, you know, built up my X factor in positioning. Like I'm not a sole provider. I collaborate with other magnificent brains to add value to my client. And I mentioned this on my sales presentation, like, hey, with me, you're going to get me and a couple of other people who are amazing at what they do. And we brainstorm on the big idea for you. We do the research. We talk to your, we talk to your people we create a messaging strategy and an offer strategy. And if you like it, that's when we start writing the copy. We don't just like, here you go, this is a launch and start writing copy. So just saying those things and, you know, just adding those elements to my business, it, it, it makes it feel less like of a freelancer or someone. It feels more like a business. It's like, I'm thinking bigger, like this is my brand. This is how I want to like, you know, roll. Um, yeah. With all my pro uh, projects. And that seems to make sense too, because uh, I mean, you talk about your business, you, you know, as a, we, right. You're the copy crew. And so being able to bring in people to help as needed, you know, whether it's, you know, completely outsourcing or bringing in people to take on part of a project seems to work. Do you have other members of your team that um, support the copywriting side of that? Or is, or are you doing all of the management side of that? At the moment, I'm the only one doing it. I would, uh, <laughs> eventually like to get into the copy chiefing role. I would love that. I, you know, it's also control issues. I just haven't <laughs> been able to let go of the copywriting process completely. And I, and I realize that's just more of my thing that I have to get over, but I think, uh, yeah, I, I think I can be swayed easier this year, as opposed to the last few years where I've really held on to this idea that I've got to do all the copy myself. I feel less strongly about that. And I think I'm ready to step into the copy chiefing role. I've never done it before, but I'm, I'm curious to know how that, you know, I'm excited actually. I'm like, okay, if that's the direction I have to go. I am open to it. Let's just say it. So. Okay. That makes sense. So um, you've told us a lot about the products you've created. What is a typical project? Uh, you mostly work on launches, if I, if I remember right. What does yeah. that typically look like? How much are you charging for those kinds of projects? So the launch is the most high-tech service that I offer. It's the entire launch package is a shebang. Uh, it takes at least 10 weeks. And uh, 
whenever someone gets in touch with me, if they want to work on a launch, uh, they, you know, fill out this type form. It's, it's automatically triggered on my site, you know, when they express interest and uh, they fill it out. And on the type form, one of the questions, or the, I think the, one of the notes that I make is that launch packages cost at least 10K and above. So this expectation is already set and uh, they, they, they're okay with it. And that comes through. We have a quick 15 minute call just to vet the prospect, you know, kind of feel like if this is okay. And if, uh, if budget seems like, you know, I reiterate, like this may be 10K plus, I don't give them an exact number. Timeline is typically 10 weeks, 10 to 12 weeks. And if those things are okay, then we move on to the sales presentation uh, process. And that's where I describe everything and I give them a solid number. But yeah, a launch package takes me usually 10, at least 10 weeks. And what's happening during that time? Are you are you just doing one project at a time or can you stack more than one launch project uh, because of the way that you stagger the things that are happening throughout the launch? Oh, that's a great question. I currently don't do, don't take on more than two uh, copy uh, launch clients because I'm still doing a lot of the copywriting myself. Uh, but what has helped me is because I brought Melissa in and typically market research takes a good couple, you know, at least four weeks. And at that time, if she is doing interviews and, uh, you know, putting together a messaging strategy, I that's, that's time I'm not writing. I have that time to maybe take on another copy client and, you know, get that going or finish writing up another project. But I typically don't take more than two clients at a time. That's the bandwidth right now. But that things could change if, you know, I bring on another junior copywriter or I start getting into the copy chiefing role. But it's also because I want to, like, protect my personal time. I think launches take a lot of my time, a lot of my mental bandwidth. So I think two at a time is okay. Typically, ideally, I'd like to get to a stage in my career where in a year I'm not working with more than 10 clients, 10 launches at a time. I think that's a number I'm, I'm happy with. 10, 10 launches in a year. Yeah, I think that, okay. that would be okay. In an entire, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, and, and when I do the math, that, that's a pretty good payday at the end of the year. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. Um, so you, earlier you mentioned that you, know, you had this impossible goal. This is your year for impossible goals. Tell us about that and you know, what is an impossible goal in your mind? You know, why impossible goals as opposed to smart goals or some other kind of goal? Yeah, great question. So the impossible goal for me, well, it started this year after not so great last year, obviously. Um, I tried on a few things, didn't work, worked on projects that didn't take off. I took things way too personally, credit kind of created a major setback. But looking back, I realized these were stepping stones to something bigger. And this year I decided, I just decided that I'm going to meet and exceed possibly my first six-figure goal. Like, you know, all these years, I've always shied away from that. I have never got to that number, that big milestone for me. And for me, it's always seemed impossible. And uh, and I always say this, like, you know, if you're going to set a goal, it's going to, it needs to freak you out a little bit and not me not attaining six figures has kind of like freaked me out about it. I've had a lot of mindset issues, like maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe it's not for me. Maybe I have to work extremely hard. It's impossible. I can't do that. I have only made so much money and I don't think I can think beyond that. But for me, so this year was like, no, 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 that's your impossible goal. You're going to meet and possibly even exceed. And I think if I'm doing my math right so far, I think I may exceed that goal this year. 
And I'm like, this is going to be my impossible goal. It's impossible because my brain's going to tell me I can't do it. And I'm okay with that. I know that mentally. And I'm just going to do whatever I can to get there. And uh, yeah, I've just reframed my brain. Like, you know, I'm, I'm just telling myself that I'm going to fail multiple times just to get there. Because usually, and this is what has worked for me, when you're looking to achieve success every step of the way, you're looking for a win, some kind of validation. And I've been very much in that area for the longest time. Like I need to have a win every time. I need to have that validation. And there's nothing wrong with that. You're looking for every sort of possible win. That's what I was doing. But I became way too attached to the wins. Like if I was doing trying something, I put too much pressure on myself that it had to work. Otherwise, it's just going to undermine my self-worth. Like, I didn't say that, but I knew it would. I was very messed up. Like, it was really unhealthy. Like, I was really attached to the wins all the time. I've got to win. And last year showed me that I didn't win all the time. I had clients who backed out. I had clients who whose launches never took off. I had failures. I was trying to be the control, and I could not be the control on one of my client's sales pages. It was like disappointment after disappointment. So what I told myself this year is I'm going to try a bunch of things. I don't care what it is, every quarter, mostly things outside of my comfort zone. And I've divided my financial goal into quarters. And for each quarter, I decided what I'm going to do to get there. Like how many times, I'm not going to look for the wins. I'm just going to look for the fails. Like how many times am I going to fail? And what do those failures or lessons mean? And and I'm going to just see how much I've grown. So I can share some fails I've had, like, for example, yeah, let's let's talk yeah. about some of those failures, and then and then I'm also interested in in like thinking through or, or talking about that 90 day goal setting process as you break it into quarters, like you know how you're thinking through that. But let's start with the failures. Yeah. So, and this is kind of like uh, related to that question, 90 day goal. So, I have a financial goal. That's what I told myself, January 1st. I have this financial goal. I've got to make 100k or exceed that goal, and I'm going to put that into quarters, right? So every quarter, this is the map. This is how much I'm going to make. And what are the ways I'm going to get there? How am I going to get there? So some of the fails I've had, like I would pitch 10 podcasts in Q1. I got accepted to only one. I cold pitched 12 clients whom I really wanted to work with. This was after doing a lot of research, stalking them, listening to them on podcasts. I got only two to say yes. Then I set the intention of creating 16 value posts for my blog on my website. And I'm historically bad in this area because I never release content. I don't talk or email my list. And I was like, I, I got to change that. I got to start building my list and serve some of the people who are in there. Because I was like, if I'm going to make it, create a digital shop and people are buying, they're going to get on my list. And if I'm not releasing any content, that's terrible. I need to take care of them. So, you know, like start communicating with my list. So I set the intention Q1 and Q2, I'm going to have 16 value posts of my blog on my website. And so far, when I look back, I've only done 10. So I know I failed in that area. I didn't manage my time. So yeah, I pitched to digital publications. I got into one. I reached out to all my past clients in the last two, three years and pitched an opportunity to work with them again. And all of them rejected me. <laughs> Very hard to take. But I was like, you know what? I've taken the action. I've put myself out there instead of being in this reactive mode and feeling scared all the time and you know, hoping things get better. And I'm like, it's not going to work. I have to just start doing things and like, you know, and this is a concept that I've learned at the life code school. They talk about the impossible goal, like divide your financial goal and then like have these fails and it doesn't matter. Don't look for the wins. It's great, but start fail your way to success. I was like, okay, I've never tried this idea before. Let me just fail myself miserably to success. And I've done that. And um, 
yeah. And uh, every quarter I have to set new fails that I'm willing to do. So, yeah. Uh, I like that. So you, you mentioned a lot of the fails. Let's flip that around and, and like, okay, in being willing to fail, what are the successes that you've had along the way? Uh, what are the successes I've had? Like, okay, so the two co-pitch clients that I did have, they have come back to give me more work and work on other launches within their company, do other stuff in copywriting, like, you know, rebuild, rewrite copy for their website. So that has kind of like reduced my marketing efforts because I don't have to kind of like consistently look for clients because these were two really great clients that who wanted to keep me on for their other programs. And I got to work on other things, really understood the client and really worked with them. Uh, what else has that created? I, I don't know. This is kind of like, you know, the universe saying like, okay, you're putting out so much of action. This is where the good stuff is coming. I, uh, one of the podcasts that I was on last year, someone heard me on that podcast, some, uh, some listener and he reached out, filled an inquiry form on my website. We had a VIP day where I charged, uh, you know, made good money out of that. It was a couple of hours of consults, but I, that just came from nowhere. That was because I had taken the action to like, you know, start pitching podcasts, but that podcast, albeit was from last year, but still. So things like that, like kind of like, you know, people coming out of the woodwork. And then of course, you know, setting up my digital shop. I get a sale every now and then in my digital shop, you know, on my Stripe notifications. That's great. I'm like, okay, I just had this idea that I should do this and I'm, I did it. And now it's there. I took the time to do it. I didn't know if I was going to succeed or not, but I did it. That's income coming in. And um, yeah, it's just different things. Like I have some great clients that I'm working with today. Some are uh, referrals and some are like, you know, the same clients it's kind of like a repeat client so it's kind of reduced my marketing to an extent and uh doing other things like you know upping my visibility like trying to you know pitch more podcasts and i i still get rejected i i got rejected even like yesterday uh for another podcast that i pitched and then i got accepted on a third one so it's kind of like just taking this consistent action like you know people finding me like hey i heard you on julie's uh, I saw you on Julie's email list. You were featured there. I heard you on this podcast somewhere here. So it's kind of like a snowball effect now because of all these actions I took. So, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, obviously there's a lot of good that comes out of, you know, consistent effort, right. And, and you may fail 90% of the time, but if you succeed 10% of the time, that starts to add up to the point where, you know, you need to fail less, but it seems to me like the hardest part of this is the mindset here, because when you get told no, like you said, by all of your former clients, or, you know, you get rejected, it's really hard to sit down the next week and say, well, I'm going to go do this all over again, instead of, instead of changing, you know, direction and doing something completely different. So how have you kind of navigated that minefield? Well, initially, when I would get a rejection, it was because something is not good enough, or I need another course. That's been my default. I would just go and buy another course. Like, hey, maybe if I learned this skill, maybe somebody would hire me. Maybe I would be more appealing to someone. But now that's, I burned that bridge. I have told myself I cannot buy a course this year and I have to do what I have with whatever I have. And it's 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 tough. I mean, uh, yeah. And if I hear no, I'm like, okay, this person said, no, it's going to stink. I'm going to let that sit for a while, even a day to get over it. And then tomorrow, all right, who else can I pitch? Right. That's, that's what I'm telling myself. All right. This it's, 
one person said no, the other person said, okay. So I'm, I tell myself like, okay, what's next or who's next? I just have to get in the game because I'm like, this is, and it's also having a compelling reason, right? Like I told myself when I set my impossible goal, I'm going to meet this goal no matter what. And the other thing I'm doing, which is sort of a vulnerable thing, I am emailing my list later this month and sharing this story with them. So far, whenever I've emailed my list, it's like, hey, there's this copy tip that you can use to boost conversions, or this is what we did with a client. And, you know, it's always been copy conversion related tips and hacks. But for the first time, I was like, okay, this month, on a weekend, every month, on a week, one weekend a month, I'm going to let my list know that this is my impossible goal. And now I'm accountable to them. Like, I have to do this. So it kind of like, you know, when you release that intention, like I'm doing this right now, I'm sharing this with you. It kind of like sets that accountability in that I've got to, you know, uh, keep persisting, keep going after it. Like, you know, I've told people like I can't fall flat on my face, but even if I don't achieve it, that's okay. I've got a list, you know, I've documented all the ways that I can fail from Q1, Q2, Q3. And all those things are telling me what I can do, what I not. And eventually, I know I'll get there. I don't know if I'm going to get there by end of December, but it's all the other things that have, you know, happened for me. It's shown me who I really am. Like, can I like really resist the lure of another copy training or a course or something to fix the problem? Because the problem really is within me. I just need to sit with myself and say like, okay, what can I do with what I already have? Like, you know, I'll give you an example. Like I have done a lot of audits this year copy tune-up is what I call it. It's a service that I offer. Like I do these. And um, I mean, not to say that, you know, this is a viable thing, but I haven't seen a lot of programs or courses out there that teach particularly how to do audits. So I'm like, okay, maybe it's not a very high-end thing, but maybe I can teach service providers how to do an audit. I, it's something I use in my business. Like, hey, why not serve this, you know, particular audience and help them do an audit? Like, I've really like forced myself to look within. Like, what am I already doing in my business? What can I do to teach or change or you know help people in their journeys? And without buying another course, without listening to another training or any of that stuff. So it's it's been constraints. Like, you know, the theory of constraints works here. Like, I've really constrained myself. Like, this is what I'm going to do. And it's funny that you asked about audits because I specifically wanted to, or that you mentioned audits because I specifically wanted to ask you about, you know, how is it that you're using audits in your business and what does that include? So without, you know, giving us an entire training on how do you make this work in your business, tell us what does your audit include? How much are you charging for it? And what's the deliverable to the client that makes it worthwhile for them? So the audit, it's a 997 price point. It's a week-long thing. Uh, it's very simple. Prospect finds me online. They'll fill in an inquiry form or in different, everything looks good. They get an invoice. It's a prepaid thing. Um, I perform the audit and send them a video recording. It's done within a week. And typically I get uh, to do audits on sales pages. Like they'll say like, hey, I'm this is a sales page. I don't know if it's good. Can you take a look at it? And that's where I come in and just uh, perform the audit. And, and when you do that deliverable, you send the video, are you making uh, recommendations that then lead to more work for yourself? Or is it simply just, you know, improve the headline? I would change the call to action. I think you need more examples of, you know, social proof. Like, are you just giving them ideas or are you uh, using it as a launch pad to more work? 
both. I give them, I tell them, so I, I have an outline of what a sales page outline is. And I think every copywriter has that, right? That framework, that outline that this is what's missing. This is not what's not missing. I tell them these are the gaps I'm seeing. This is where I don't, you know, this is what's uh, what needs to be strengthened. I kind of even rewrite a small section of their sales page, like, hey, and the easiest one that comes to mind is the guarantee. They usually kind of like, you know, have a sucky guarantee anyway. So I'm like, this is how I would rewrite your guarantee. I give them a couple of uh, options for a headline and a couple of options for uh, crossheads. Uh, I include all of that in addition to telling them what's missing. And they like that. They find a lot of value in that. And uh, sometimes that leads to like, hey, this was great. Can you just write the sales page for us? And can you just work on this launch? So it's kind of like that tool to get more work. But um, yeah. Okay. So I know we talk a lot about the goals you have to fail more. Um, so this might be kind of repeating that a little bit, but what have you struggled with the most in your business? Where is it that you just, it, it's a, it's always a struggle. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a place where you need help or just something that you, you're continually working on. Uh, I think my struggle is switching between the employee and, uh, you know, the boss hat. Like, you know, I do a lot, a lot of my work is done for you stuff. And then I had to switch to my marketing hat to market my business. And that can be exhausting at times. That's why I was not paying attention to my list. And that way there was that intention that, Hey, I need to email my list more. I need to give them value more. I need to share my story more. So that's hard to do in a week, but, um, it does, it's, it's still a struggle for me. Um, yeah. So I think switching between those two hats and the other thing would be project management. I'm not the most organized person. So this is a struggle for me. I'm learning how to delegate more, which is also a struggle because I don't, I haven't done that much in years past. Like, you know, I do have control issues. So kind of like, yeah, where can I delegate more? And where can I ask for more help? Like, how can I not have my VA reach out to the client and ask for the testimonials? Well, I don't need to do that. Like, you know, let, let someone else take care of that for me. So uh, I'm learning. and. Uh, yeah, I don't think I'll always be perfect, but time management is a problem. Okay, fair enough. It sounds like you struggle with the same things I struggle with, which is, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's an eternal struggle. And I know you mentioned, you know, working with uh, leaders like Julie, you know, some of the other things that you've done in your business that have made a big difference. Is there anything else that's really helped you level up that you haven't mentioned? I just keep going back to this. It's, um, and cheesy as it sounds, it's really kind of like, you know, just emotional management. I think of uh, reading more of those books more than business. I think I've, I've been reading a lot more and listening to personal development books. And then kind of like, you know, trying to manage my mind because as a, as a service provider, as an entrepreneur, we're kind of like, you know, one day is great. The next day is not so great. We kind of take things way too personally. And that was me last year. And that was a decision I wanted to make. Like I'm going to control my emotions better because if I don't, I just go down downhill and it's not really good for my business. So yeah, kind of like, you know, schedule days for having fun, doing things which are non-copy related, have friends who are not from the business world, kind of like, you know, that's, get that's that a great stuff. idea. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it, it's kind of exhausting talking about an Instagram reel or a marketing strategy, like kind of talk to someone who's a kindergarten teacher for once, like, you know, who has different challenges. It's, it gives you perspective, like, Hey, you know, yeah, this is the other side. This is how non-entrepreneurs think. And it's nice. It's refreshing. So I, I scheduled stuff like that for me to do. Um, yeah. And um, also try not to rely too much on the cookie cutter strategies. Uh, if something is not working, if a funnel is not working, 
don't buy a course or don't try to fix it. It's okay. Look for a way around. Look for a way. How would you do things differently? Because even the best of the best gurus, mentors, no, nobody has the answers. Sometimes even they may offer that to you. It may just not work for you. And I, I personally experienced that myself. So I've always had to find a way around to like, okay, how can I tweak this to make it more fit my style? So be, don't be afraid to try that once and for all, uh, you know, once in a while, like don't always rely on cookie cutter strategies. Yeah. Find what's working for you. Awesome. I, I know you mentioned a couple of the products that you're developing and getting ready to sell. What's next for you and your business? What are you, what's the big thing coming up? Adding more products to the digital shop for sure. I'm very excited about that. Uh, subcontracting this new amazing service that I am uh, thinking of launching, which I think will help my clients tremendously. It will free up my time as well. That's uh, it's, it's a new service. Um, I'm still in discussion with that. Uh, and possibly outlining a new product, which I don't know if it's going to be more of a course, may not be because I, I, I hate courses, <laughs> uh, or it may be like a done with you sort of a thing. I'm still, you know, it's still in the works. I, I haven't outlined it, but it's exciting. And I, I want to offer it to the service provider community more than the copywriters. And uh, yeah, definitely still work on launches. So thanks, Amisha. This was fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Awesome. Thank you. It's been one of my dreams to be on the TCC podcast and it's a dream come true. I can finally check this off my list. So that's the end of our interview with Amisha Schumacher. Uh, before we go, though, I think that there are just a couple more things, at least that I want to touch on. I'm guessing, Nicole, you've got a couple of things that jumped out at you as well. Let me start. Um, you know, where um, Amisha is talking about this idea of selling all of these scripts that she's using in her business. So this is an idea we've talked about it before. You know, Mike Kim talked about it at TCC IRL 2020, the last event that was held before the whole world shut down. Um, this idea of selling your sawdust, you know, there's all these things that we do in our business and they have value that are parts of projects that we're doing, but they're not the final deliverable for our client. And, and, but they still have value and there are ways to, you know, to sell that stuff. So, you know, the, the phrase sell your sawdust comes from the fact, you know, when you're creating lumber at the lumber mill, you have the sawdust that is created and there are uses for the sawdust, even though that's not the product that you were hired to actually create. Or I've shared uh, once or twice, you know, this, the story of the guys who founded Orida, uh, you know, they're making French fries. And as you're trimming potatoes into French fries, you get all these little tiny pieces of potatoes that are left over, literally, you know, thousands of pounds of these things. And they had an engineer on their team who, you know, just drilled some holes in a board, started putting these potato peelings in and created the uh, tater tot. And, you know, tater tots now, you know, sell millions, maybe, maybe even you know, hundreds of millions. I don't know what, what the tater tot market is, but, you know, it's this incredibly valuable product and it started as an accident. And there are things in our businesses that we can do like that. And so I, I just love that Amisha, you know, found these scripts that she's using in her business and found a way to sell them to her audience. Uh, and this is something that's even more valuable. You know, of course you can sell scripts and templates and things to other copywriters, but the real value is in selling them in a niche. And, you know, if you're, you're talking to people who, you know, can't write their own stuff or, you know, are, are not as good as we are as copywriters, um, you know, you can create email templates, you can create, you know, website templates, whatever they are uh, for a niche and, you know, it can become a very nice piece of your business. And not just as passive income or industry facing things, but also selling your sawdust for your clients that, 
maybe you can package some of the things that you do behind the scenes as a value add that just that just justifies your price positioning even so much more. If you know, if it's how you package your research, how you if you have industry analyses, how can you include those? You know, little things that will end up being surprise and delight, but actually carry a ton of value. And you have to do them anyway. So why not use that to your advantage? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And then the other thing that I think is genius in, in what, what Amisha is doing, and it goes back to what we talked about the first time we broke in, is she's in these groups, these masterminds where she's exposed herself to you know people who can help her. And then she asks them to share this product. So she's invested in their programs. Obviously, there's some reciprocity here. And you know, if you've got a product that you can share to an audience, you know, where you've connected with another, you know, guru or you know, some some kind of an expert in that audience, uh, there's there's this um, awesome thing that starts to happen where you know they're selling your things for you, and that just grows your business too. And so, um, you know, I, I know a lot of people are like, well, why would I ever invest in a coach or you know, a, a mastermind group? Like, I don't need the stuff that we always talk about. Why it's so great, but you know, there's one way right there, referrals, additional traffic, additional sales, um, you know, if you've got uh, things that they can share out with their audiences. Okay. Um, let me, let me also mention, because, you know, I, we, we led with this in the intro, but this whole idea of giving yourself permission to fail and setting impossible goals. I love this. It, you know, impossible goals is something that Kara and I have adopted, you know, when we're talking with you know people that we coach, because, so often, you know, we have goals, we have things that we want to achieve in our businesses, but having somebody point out and say, yeah, you could do that. Or, you know, what if you doubled that? Like, what would you have to do differently in your business in order to do that? And Amisha's approach is a little bit different, you know, trying to think out, okay, you know, what are the 12, uh, you know, pitches that I can send that, you know, maybe they're all going to fail, right? Like, let me shoot higher than I normally would. And, yeah, of course, a lot of them are going to fail, but occasionally one of them breaks through. And so giving yourself permission to fail, uh, but going after it anyway, and having failure be the goal instead of success, I think um, it just changes the, it, it changes the metric a little bit, or it changes the experience a little bit so that failure no longer feels like failure. It feels like success. And so you're almost um, you're almost cheating the system a little bit, or Amisha's cheating the system a little bit by approaching it this way. And I love it. I think it's so smart. Absolutely. I was blown away by the idea of fail faster. And it, it, it doubles back into you know, the way that she's been working on her mindset, because yes, she's going to fail, but in every fail, there's a win. She wouldn't have done, she wouldn't have put herself out there if she hadn't given herself permission to fail. And I think that's something that a lot of us, especially when you're new in the industry, you're so worried about racking up those wins and getting the validation. And when you start to rely on that, the lack of momentum can be can be discouraging, or maybe you just you know throw in the towel and, and you go work at Target, which you know is not necessarily a bad thing. But the reframing the fact that that the success comes from the doing, and measuring your worth by the fact that you are making the attempt rather than having the success. I just I was so blown away by that idea, and I'm so impressed with how you know she is she's giving herself metrics that she knows that it's very likely that she's not going to succeed. And that doesn't stop her from trying. 
Yeah. I, I think the takeaway for me here is that, you know, if, if my goals aren't freaking me out just a little bit, I, maybe I need to reset my goals. You know, if it, even if they feel hard, they, they should probably freak me out. And it's not about achieving the goal necessarily. It's about doing things differently that move you in the right direction and, and, you know, the amazing things that can happen out of that process. And I also loved the way that she reframed um, the nose. So the nose, once you stop once you stop striving for the gold stars and, you know, I'm the last person who should be talking about this, but once you stop reaching for the gold stars, the no becomes a, at, this is not a good fit, not you are not a good person. And that changing that perspective gives you so much more freedom to try to even make the attempt, whether regardless of the outcome, I just loved that so much. Yeah. It's so often in business, uh, rejection is part of doing business and it's not because somebody doesn't like you. It's almost never personal, but it always feels personal. And so being able to reframe that in a way uh, that works, I think is really important. I want to say one other thing too, uh, going back to, uh, it was is almost just like an offhand remark that Amisha mentioned, but she talked about her sales presentation when she gets into her sales presentation. And then she basically said, what I'm doing is explaining the process of working with me. And I think this is a really important point that a lot of people go into, you know, a, a call with a client thinking, well, I've got to sell them on working with me. I've got to sell them on, you know, my credentials or my abilities or my success or whatever. And the, it's so much more effective to just talk about what you do and to ask questions, you know, that, that basically start to get inside your client's business. And I know we didn't dwell on it in the interview, but, you know, as I was looking back over the things that we talked about, she said, yeah, we start the sales presentation, which is my process. And that is the best way to do a sales call. So another, just a, a little takeaway that I think is definitely worth calling out. Yeah. It's moving the goalpost again. The win is not closing the sale. The win is determining the fit. Yeah. There you go. There you go. That's brilliant. See, that's why we brought you on Nicole to say things even better than I can. It's the decoder rig in me. So we want to thank Amisha Shramankar for joining us on the podcast to talk about her business, her goals, all the things she's done to grow this last year. If you want to connect with Amisha, check out thecopycrew.com or DM her on Instagram. And she sometimes hangs out in the Copywriter Club group. So you can check her out in the, uh, the free group as well as I believe in the underground. So look for her online wherever your best copywriting groups are found. That's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro and favorite earworm was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muttner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts to leave your review of the show. And if you didn't like it, don't bother. It's fine. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, Nicole, for joining me. And thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club.